1: Hi, everybody. I'm John Donvan, and this is Agree to Disagree from Intelligence Squared. And today we are debating a choice that has to be made to indict Donald Trump or not. All summer, we have seen the congressional committee investigating the January 6th attack, making the case, they say, that the former president committed serious felonies around that day and around an effort in the weeks before that to overturn the results of the 2020 election. And they have been presenting evidence. They've been bringing in eyewitnesses in person. They've been showing testimony through depositions. They've been sharing texts and emails and videos. Evidence. They have gathered it. They have organized it. And now what is supposed to happen? What is the calculation to be made by the nation's top law enforcement team at the Department of Justice? Indict Trump and prosecute him? What if they do and what if they lose? Or for that matter, what if they do and what if they win? Or the other option, do not indict Trump, let him off. And what would be the lasting impact of that inaction? So that's a lot of questions and uncertainty around the choice of indict or don't indict Trump, and that's what we are debating. Should Trump be indicted? We have two guests who have given enormous thought to this question, and they have made their stances public on it already because they've been writing about it, they've been talking about it. One is a former Republican member of Congress. The other is a professor of law and political science. And if you suspect from that description, you know who is on what side of the question right now, well, stand by to be a little bit surprised. I want to welcome our guests, Barbara Comstock and Tom Ginsburg. Barbara and Tom, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Great to be with you. Pleasure to be with you both.
1: So let's start out by sorting out who is on which side of our central question. Barbara Comstock, you are a Republican who served four years in Congress. You were representing a district in Northern Virginia. You also served in Virginia State Legislature. And I want to ask you, Barbara, to start us off with a simple yes or no to the question before us. Should Trump be indicted? Are you a yes or are you a no?
3: I am a yes. No one should be above the law, including the president and especially the president.
1: Thank you, Barbara. And Tom Ginsburg. you're at the University of Chicago. You teach political science, but also, especially relevant to what we'll be discussing today, you teach international law and are an expert in the constitutions of other countries where there may well be lessons to be learned about the issue that's facing us right now. So Barbara's answer, of course, gives away which side you're on, but just to make it official, on the question of whether Trump should be indicted, are you a yes or a no, Tom?
2: Oh, I'm a no. I think the risks outweigh the benefits at this point.
1: All right, let's get into it. I want to go back to you, Barbara. So what's your case? Where? where what is your thinking on saying that Trump should be indicted? And how did you get to that decision?
3: Well, I think... Um you know, the, the cases laid out by the Justice Department has been very compelling and continues to be filled in every day with voluminous uh, documents and record uh, and uh, testimony uh, that has shown the spread of false and fraudulent information to the American public on the election being stolen. His own campaign, the Justice Department, his White House counsel, even his family told him that was false. Yet to this day, He continues to spread that false election and threaten people, both politically as well as, you know, people end up still getting death threats if you disagree with him. So this, you know, fraudulent information and fraud on the public continues to this day. You know, corruptly planning to uh, replace the acting attorney general with, you know, Trump apologist Jeffrey Clark so the Justice Department could then substantiate his fake election claims trying to subvert the Justice Department. Fortunately that was um, you know, the Justice Department and other officials diverted that, but that pressure was definitely put, you know and threats made there, pressuring the vice president, of course. and even after that didn't work, uh, pressuring the state election officials and state legislators again, uh, putting that pressure on them, threatening um, them, uh, the fake electors, which is very much under investigation still by uh, by the Justice Department, um, instructing Republicans in you know in, in multiple states to create these false electors uh, slates. That even we're now getting these documents that are saying that even they thought this was traitorous and possibly illegal behavior, but they signed up for it, and then summoning this violent mob. And I think very, the information there that came out in the most recent hearing showing not only didn't he, um, you know, that he called the violent mob, sent them up there, that he knew they were armed, the detail on that, the Secret Service records showing that he knew they were armed, yet he sent them up there that he also, and then that he deliberately did not call when everybody, the Congress, his own staff, uh, wanted him to send up the National Guard, that not only didn't he do it, he chose intentionally not to do it, and that Mike Pence and, um, and General Milley had to do it, and that he didn't, He and he even lied about it after showing his guilty intent there, that he wanted that mob to continue to inflame and stop the uh Congress official proceedings
1: so you're saying that the, that the it, it, the indictment is mandated by the fact that the case is there that on the merits it's sort of it's so obvious it's undeniable that there's just no choice but to go forward with it
3: yes, and I think there's continuing i think the the committee you know has had they, they haven't even been able to fill in the extensive detail that is there, and that I think an indictment and then a trial in d c will be able to be filled out with Republican after Republican witness that will be his own White House counsel, his own attorney general, his own Justice Department officials, his own White House staff, even his own family and his own campaign staff, all of whom told him this was false information, tried to stop him at every point. And then, you know, even his own vice president who was, you know, uh, and his staff. And that's why I think you have the vice president's staff and lawyers in front of the grand jury right now, as well as White House staff and now White House counsel, Pat Sibley. Okay. Yeah, you, you've,
1: made, you've made a case, a very persuasive case, telling us that you're very persuaded that the guilt is so obvious, is so obvious that there is no choice but to indict just on the merits itself. And I want to bring that to Tom Ginsburg And Tom, first hear from you. As you said at the beginning, you think more harm than good would be done uh, by, by indicting, and I want to hear why.
2: Yeah, I have no uh, doubt that everything Barbara said is true. I would even, you know, uh, use the term traitorous in a uh, at least a colloquial sense, if not a legal sense, for all the activity that we now know about that the January 6th Committee has put on the record. It's incredibly valuable proceedings for the long-term health of our democracy. The question, of course, is what is the mechanism of accountability? Is it legal or is it political? And I think, um, you know, there is a jump between everything we've heard in the committee and actually winning a conviction at a court of law beyond a reasonable doubt of a specific crime. And that requires, of course, that you have, you know, overwhelming evidence of in, I think the key question would be intent to do all these things. Trump will be on the stand and he will say, you know, oh, I was relying on this lawyer. Sidney Powell told me it was okay. Why was I to believe him? Uh, You know, why should I believe Pat Cipollone over Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani? So intent could be hard to prove. That means you have to think about the consequence of losing a criminal trial against Trump, which would, I think, empower him further. Now, politically, I actually think myself that Trump at this point is a dying ember. Um, and yet, he is a dying ember that thrives on oxygen. A trial will actually give him a platform, will force Fox News to broadcast news about him, which they have not been doing, and will breathe, you know, new attention to him before his base, which is going to be behind him whether he wins or loses. If you know Trump manages to win the case against the government, well, then not only the base but marginal Republicans in the suburbs of you know Philadelphia who actually decide American elections, might uh, be empowered to, you know, think he was unfairly treated.
1: So, Barbara Comstock, you've heard what Tom Ginsburg has to say, and I'd like to hear what your challenge to his thinking would be.
3: Well, I think the the real problem there is that you really have a situation where, you know, remember back when the impeachment for these activities, not the first impeachment, but the second impeachment for the January 6th activities, we were told, well, we can't impeach a former president because his activities, you know, kind of all happened uh, right there at the end. So he was out of office before you really could get the impeachment together. So they said, The legal process is the proper place for this to happen. Remember, Mitch McConnell made a very compelling statement that said, you know, uh, he he excoriated Trump, as as the press reported at the time, for his actions, saying it was a disgraceful dereliction of duty. And he was responsible for what happened, uh, for provoking the events, but that the proper place was the courts. So you now have a situation where you had, you know, the branch of the body that was assaulted saying, nope, you got to take it over to the courts now because it was too late. We couldn't, you know, he did all his of his crimes too late in the game to get him on impeachment. So take it to the courts. And then we're saying, well, no, that would be too, too traumatic for everybody. But what you have here, and I think what we've heard that's really so troubling in these hearings is that you had, this is all ongoing to this day. I mean, you had, when you heard those women who were election officials, being threatened by Donald Trump in those tweets. These are women um, who are just serving their country, you know, going and, you know, uh, helping people vote who he, you know, attacked and, and, you know, he he may still be attacking, um, who can't even leave their homes because people are, you know, attributing know attacking them. Cassidy Hutchinson, who all she did was get called and testify under oath her testimony has been verified now by by documents, by Secret Service documents, by other you know oral testimony by um, Pat Cipollone, who had to be a little you know drag kicking and screaming in there. Um, but now he's going before a grand jury too, where he I don't expect that he will be able to claim executive privilege. But it has been confirmed, and so we've it, yet he threatens her. You saw even Republicans who were threatening Sarah Matthews, who testified so. People to this day are threatened physically. They get death threats and, are fi- and, and, and this is ongoing. And if you say, oh, handle that all politically. Well, I can tell you, my former Republican colleagues, kind of, they, a lot of them live like in a battered woman's shelter and they are afraid of this man because not only can they end their political lives and their futures, as we see every day. They are afraid for their families and justifiably. I mean, Liz Cheney has a physical detail now. We've all, you know, Adam Kinzinger has played for people the death threats that he and his young, you know, his new young baby have gotten, his wife and young baby. This happens to people all the time.
1: More from Intelligence Squared U.S. when we return. Welcome back to Intelligence Squared U.S. Let's get back to our debate. Uh, so, so Tom, based on what Barbara is saying, I, I, I think I hear implicitly she's saying to to not to not uh, make Donald Trump try to pay for this would be disastrous. The implications of not making him pay or trying to make him pay, would send a terrible message. And I'd like you to take that on.
2: He has unleashed, of course, uh, a huge increase in threats to members of Congress, to election officials. This is genuinely happening. I'd like Wait, to ask Barbara- be- before, you, before you do that, I, yeah. I'd, like to, I'd just like you to take on my question, which
1: is, what would be the implications of not doing anything about Trump? Well, first regard? of
2: all, there's no, I'm not, not for not doing anything. I think all of these other people should be in, indicted, and, uh, you know, um, they're- There was a conspiracy. And, you know, that does include Mike Flynn. It does include um, Sidney Powell and Giuliani. And those people need to be sanctioned very severely because, you know, violators of the rule of law, which is what Trump is, um, are only empowered because people around them are betting that they're going to win. But if people around them know that their necks are on the line, that they're going to be disbarred, that they're going to serve time— they don't go along with violators. There's nothing you can do that's going to prevent Donald Trump from violating the law. He'll get up on this trial, which Barbara would like to have, and he'll perjure himself, and he'll, you know, he's not. He, the The rule of law is not a huge value for him, but you do need to indict all those other people for sure. Now, you know. I'm not saying, and, and, and then the question is, well, what is the accountability? The accountability is him being rejected by the party and, you know, us moving forward. But I, I would say, as
3: my friend Harry Dunn, the office, the Capitol Hill officer, and I've worked yeah. with these officers to get these hearings and commend them for coming forward at great personal cost for themselves. And, of course, the cost that they paid on that day and continue to pay for themselves speaking out, get attacked by Donald Trump and others, they get called crisis actors by people um, on on Fox News. Um, they um, and, and recently just got called that when they sat at a hearing. But he says, "Why do you indict? You're going to go after the the guys, you know? Who you know? We, we're convicting the people. The 800 people we're indicting and maybe convicting the people who broke in and did everything. But the guy who ordered them up there, we're not doing." Yeah, I think it's great if, you know, certainly Mark Meadows, Mike Flynn, Sidney and Rudy and all these people who did this. Yes, they should be disbarred. They should be indicted. I I expect they will. But the man who was at the center of it, um, if if he is not, that does say, you know, you can be the president. I mean, he's already said, I'm going to pardon all these people when I get elected again. So that's why you have around Donald Trump and his $125 million little operation going on here. You have this whole grifter class around him right now because they know they're all going to be pardoned and they're all going to go back to making their, you know, hundreds of thousands and even millions of dollars by the big lie here. And you have people, I mean, the people who are working here, here's an irony for you. Um, Donald Trump's campaign manager, um, forgetting his name right now, but he's working on Harriet Hagman's, uh, he's a consultant on Harriet Hagman's race, you know, against Liz Cheney right now. He testified under oath that he told Donald Trump he lost the race. So he knows the big lies of fraud, right? But he's out running Harriet Hagman's race, uh, helping her to say, oh, the big lie, Donald Trump won. He won the race and we've got to do this and Liz Cheney's horrible. So this is what, and he's getting paid a lot of money to do
2: it, I'm sure. I mean, I want to interrupt and just ask you, do you you think any Wyoming voters' minds would be changed about Harriet Hagman if Trump was convicted?
3: Well, what I know is that uh, Trump would have to pay the ultimate price for his lies, for his fraud on the American people. And you'd also see as as he's indicted and you follow the money, because I certainly think what we always see with these cases, and I think the Justice Department may start looking a lot at the money, because certainly Sidney Powell raised money on this, Mike Flynn did, um, a lot of the other people involved. There's a lot of money sloshing around here. And if the Justice Department, which the committee hasn't done so much, if they start following the money on this, I think again, this fraud on the American people. And I would like, because you had mentioned, hey, it's going to be hard to prove intent. I don't think it's going to be because I think that intent, when you have all these credible Republican, Trump Republicans, his White House counsel, Bill Barr, you know, his own family saying we told him he lost his campaign versus the clown car lawyers, as Bill Barr called them. Um, they were telling him ridiculous things and he knew that. And we even have testimony where he said, yeah, I know those guys are clowns. You know, he, he admitted that. So, you know, but even more importantly, what we saw with intent was when he started that fire up at the Capitol. You know, when you start a fire, maybe you didn't, you can say, okay, I didn't intend to start the fire. I sent them down there. I didn't know they'd start the fire. But if you start a fire, you know, people are in the house. You don't get to walk away from that fire. You've got to call 911. You've got to do something. And the reason that everybody called him on January 6th that day, because they knew he was the only one who could put out that fire, and he refused to put out that fire. And we have so much more testimony now on his intent not to put out the fire and to keep the fire burning so what
1: about, let, let me jump in, the, and Tom, what about then the case that Barbara's making that actually the intent case is actually pretty clear? A minute or two ago, you said you think it's uh, going to be hard to
2: prove. Why do you think it would be hard to prove? I'm not a federal prosecutor, but I do think that everything we're watching on TV is a congressional hearing. Everything that enters the court of law in a criminal trial has to be proved beyond a reasonable doubt. That means if one juror, you know, suspects, after testimony that Trump really thought he, you know, had won the election and that there was going to be no violence, you know, then that juror could uh, get him declared not guilty. And then he wins the case. If I was confident uh, that a criminal criminal conviction was, you know, for sure, I would certainly agree with Barbara. I'm not. I wonder if I could return to the point about violence. Sure, please do. Let me, you know, obviously we're in, our political culture is becoming ever more violent all the time, it's horrific, and we need people to step up and say it's inappropriate. Um, And we need consequences for those who threaten and engage, and that might require a change in the law. Right now, Congress is considering a bill which would make a crime of intimidating poll workers. I think that's a wonderful thing to do. But have you thought about what would happen when the marshals come to arrest Donald Trump? That could be an extremely violent affair. If he calls his, you know, supporters, his armed supporters to come to Mar-a-Lago to defend him from the witch hunt, you know, we might end up in an even worse place as far as political violence goes. A corner... I'd have to totally
3: disagree. And in fact, if you go back to the second impeachment, Donald Trump made that same threat right after January 6th. He said, boy, if you impeach me, Or if you do the 25th Amendment, my people may get really mad. Remember, he said to Kevin McCarthy, hey, these people are more upset about the election than you are. And then when they start talking about the impeachment, you know, the impeachment, then he said, boy, you may get people really mad. That didn't work. And, you know, uh, there's nobody more incendiary than uh, Steve Bannon. And he tried that trick in DC, too. But, but don't I, you
2: think it did work? You were talking before about all the threats to you know to the no, witnesses. That's, that's yeah, a direct. Well,
3: that's, okay, but we're a, we're one on one helping them. But the, these big mobs coming to D.C. now—that is dissipating. You're right. You know, people are seeing Donald Trump is you know he, he himself you know more more and more elected officials. Let me tell you. I mean, the elected officials—if he disappeared tomorrow. I have said many times, there would be nobody elected in the search party, you know, from Kevin (laughs) and McCarthy on down. These people will be happy to see him go. Like I said, they are living in a battered woman's shelter. They kind of like, listen, we know, we know he's terrible, but they can't quit him, you know, because they're afraid of him and they're afraid of his people and whatever. But if he were, you know, there is a power in that indictment. And in the facts, and in the fact that you're seeing and what you see in these hearings, it's his own people. I mean, listen, even Ivanka and Jared aren't out on Fox defending him. Fox News has pretty much cut him off. They counter when he was out, and I mean, unfortunately, the Arizona disastrous team there that I certainly hope will win and I expect, I mean, lose, and I expect they'll lose. When he was out uh, at a rally there, Fox News counter-programmed with Laura Ingram doing an interview with Ron De, Governor Ron DeSantis. So they've dropped him, you know, and, and are moving on. Wall Street Journal editorialized against him. New York Post. So there's going to be there's going to be a move away from him. So I don't buy that because already he's not able to summon. The mobs, the way All right. But, but on t- t- and t- Steve Bannon's Barron, going to be in jail soon, so he doesn't have t- his t- podcast. And Alex Jones apparently is going bankrupt, so he can't either. So,
1: all right, but- so so Barbara's yeah. making the case, Tom, that that the threat of violence is is diminishing. But it's I
3: don't Steve think right. you're I don't
1: think you're convinced. But my question to you, Tom, is: even if the threat of violence was very credible and very high, does that justify oh, giving people giving people. a veto to the
2: to the, to letting violence veto yeah. uh, a judicial process there's an old expression that if you kill one person you're a murderer and if you kill a million you're a national hero um and you know that is, there's something to that in this context donald trump still has despite everything um a tremendous amount of political support i happen to think that it is dying out i heard barbara just say that uh, in the sense of being able to actually win an American election, and that's one reason I'm specifically worried about uh, trying him, in because I do think he's a person who thrives on negative media attention, and you know might breathe new life into him. And
3: yeah, but we and can't his, be Neville Chamberlains, you know, appeasing him and his oh, election. Now spirit. there, I have
2: to take yeah. issue. I wrote a book about Trump in 2017, talking about what a danger he was to democracy. I never voted for the guy. So Maybe I'm not either, Chamberlain,
3: yeah, we're, we're in a unity, I, you know, and I said, but we can't keep appeasing him. I'm saying the Republicans are appeasing him, but we can't now say, oh, we're afraid he's going to cause violence, so we can't indict him. I think we can't do that. I mean, because that could be, listen, any mobster could, you know, say, hey, I'm going to send my, my guys against you. You can't go after the mob. I mean, that's, you know, this is, you know, he's he's behaving. Do, 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 either,
2: do either of you... Want to see Trump go to jail for for what's happened? Oh, I would love it if I thought it was really likely to happen. I would think that would be great.
3: Yeah, I, I think he should be treated just as Merrick Garland said, as any other person who's committed the crimes that he's committed would be treated. And I think when you look at if Mark Meadows and Mike Flynn and these other people are going to lose their livelihoods, lose their bar licenses, they're going to be indicted on things, I certainly think Um, He should, too. And, you know, whatever uh, consequences, certainly I think Steve Bannon will be going to jail. Um, But you also have a situation where like with Mark Meadows, he's got to decide, you know, he has a situation where he and his wife voted mysteriously, oddly, from a trailer park in North Carolina, which it does not appear they lived in. So his wife might have some legal problems as well as him. And so what does Mark do? Is he, let his, is he going to fall on the sword or let his wife also fall on the sword to protect Donald Trump? Or is m- maybe he going to talk? I imagine Pat Cipollone is going to have a lot of information about what Mark Meadows did. So now what does Mark— So, you so, have, so, so what, but
1: Barbara, Barbara, just to my question, is, is, your, is your goal to see him go to jail or is your goal to keep him from ever being able to run again or both?
3: My goal is that justice is served and I think it is important— I mean, I'm a former Justice Department official, too. And so how he subverted that Justice Department and what he did to those senior Justice Department officials and what they had to do to stop him from subverting his.
1: But I come back to my question. Do you want to see him doing time or do you just want to get him out of the picture?
3: Yes, I, I think he should do whatever time is appropriate for what crimes he would be found guilty of as would any other person who's found guilty of the same crimes? I I don't think he should be above the law or below whatever. You know, we just saw a guy who got seven years and his daughters came out and said, how come the guy, you know, who, who inspired all this and sent him up there isn't being held accountable? She's exactly right. That's what all the police officers, Capitol Police that I talked to want to know. You know, we got, you know, Beaten up and did all this. How come the guy who sent the mob to do this to us is not being held accountable? It's a it's just pure legal accountability. And I think Merrick Garland is on the right path here that he has to be legally accountable in the same way as any other citizen.
1: Tom, you're hist- you're an historian of of politics and constitutions globally, and and I'm thinking back to to the pardon that Richard Nixon was given after Watergate. You know, he avoided prosecution because his vice president became president and pardoned him, Gerald Ford. And Ford said at the time, and I'm going to quote on it, that he, he issued the pardon because he wanted to change our national focus. He said to continue to, to focus on Watergate and to prosecute Nixon would, I'm quoting again, needlessly, we would be needlessly diverted from meeting our challenges if we as a people were to remain sharply divided over whether to indict and bring to trial and punish a former president who was already condemned to suffer long and deeply in the shame and disgrace brought upon the office he held. He was kind of making a case that, you know, the best way to deal with everything that's happened is to move on. And I want to hear what you think of that kind of, that that attitude, which, again, President Obama was was challenged about bringing cases against um, CIA agents who under the Bush administration had engaged in torture. And Obama also, you know, kind of said, he initially had indicated he considered the torture an outrage, but he ended up ultimately not having his Justice Department bring prosecutions and saying it's time to, to he, he said, I, I have a belief that we need to look forward as opposed to looking backwards. This idea that could also, you could even argue that the Civil War ended to some degree with that same idea of let's move forward and, and try to find a way to come together rather than pick at the wound. I just want to get your take on on those cases and that message and whether that's applicable in any way to
2: this conversation now. Well, first of all, I think it's an absolutely inherent feature that we see over and over again in democracies that um, there's political accountability and legal accountability. As I said before, and sometimes political accountability is sufficient, and you know, legal accountability may therefore become unnecessary. That's how I would say the CIA, you know, torture ring, um, you know, in Guantanamo, which, you know, by the way. Still, people sitting in Guantanamo, I want to remind people. but you know, by and large, the idea was that, well, the institution's going to change, and they're not going to do it again, and we've got to move forward rather than have scapegoats. Um, Nixon, of course, was pardoned, but he had lost all you know political support. So I don't think we're in that situation with Donald Trump. He still has too much political support, and so it would be inappropriate to follow the usual rule in democracies, which is you don't prosecute your predecessors. Um, I just think when you have someone who's a genuine threat to the democracy, that maybe there needs to be an exception for that. Again, what's,
1: what's behind that principle of don't prosecute your predecessors is is that it would look like it was vindictive and political.
2: I think it creates kind of a moral hazard that once it becomes a norm, you know, that the prior regime gets prosecuted, the stakes of leaving office become too high. And we do have democracies around the world, actually Ukraine, uh, for most of its, Democratic life in the last three decades has been one of these where whenever a new faction comes in power, they go after the prior one with every tool they've got. Corruption, you know, prosecutions, impeachments. And, you know, in that kind of context, politics has such high stakes that no one is willing to give up power. And that actually makes democracy impossible, if you think about it. In democracies, we need the stakes of office to be high, but not too high. We need them to be high enough that people care, but not so high that people aren't willing to give up power because their entire, you know, government and, you know, millions of people depend on them staying in power.
1: I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared U.S. More of our conversation when we return. Welcome back to Intelligence Squared U.S. Let's get back to our debate. But I'm I'm looking at cases like you know Israel, a place where I've lived and reported from, has put presidents away and put presidents in jail uh, after their terms, and prime ministers, and Italy has uh, sentenced a prime minister who ultimately got out on appeal, and in France, President Sarkozy, again, uh, convicted. Um, for for uh, essentially obstruction of uh, justice and those are pretty thriving democracies that have in fact punished uh previous office holders and 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 they've survived
2: so how do those process well that's true it's not the norm in those cases but um you know they have of course gone after i think the israeli president was an actual rapist um you know and they've minor corruption, things do get prosecuted. So, you know, I'm just explaining that the general norm is not to do that when you have major serious, you know, crimes. And so that's also, I think, ties into political accountability. When the person's been, you know, suffered some political loss, then, you know, they're out of office, the people have spoken. I think we need to get to a place in this country where the people have decisively rejected uh, the violence and the uh, attacks on institutions which Donald Trump has represented. And that is going to require, at some point, saying, we're not going to go back and relitigate this. I mean, he's the one who's trying to keep the 2020 election, you know, alive. The rest point. of us Republican and Democrat, I think, are ready to move on. But, you know, again, there has well, to
3: be Well, some- and that's why I think the, the the power of the prosecution, which I do, obviously, the Justice Department has to, the facts and the information, which I do think they have will be that it's not going to be the current administration prosecuting them. I, th- I think it might not be a bad idea to put a you know special prosecutor in there, make it a Republican. It's going to be a full-on Republican witness prosecution. You do not need to have a single uh, Democrat witness in there. It's pretty much going to be everybody who is sitting in there who... Voted for Donald Trump, who was there, who believed in them, pretty much up until January 6th, they were on the team, um, or certainly, you know, through election day. So the idea of being famous or incendiary, as you know, that should shield you from justice, um, really, you know, goes against everything of the American justice system. And uh, and that's, I, I think that the things that went on at the Justice Department so offend me. As as a former uh, you know official there, I just think prosecuting sort of these foot soldiers of Donald Trump, who now he promises to pardon, you know he says he's probably going to pardon, is just would just be partial justice for this really vile assault on our whole American democracy, and for the ringleader to never be indicted or held accountable would say that you know that the voters, you know, we're the ones who decide who gets to decide elections and that no one is above the law and that this man who still to this day is, I mean, all these election deniers that he's now trying to get into the secretary of state position. So next time when he runs, he can, he doesn't have to have the votes. He can, he can say, you know, and that these kind of frightening things, you know, the reason we have a judicial system is so that you can't misuse, you know, Uh, You can't violate things in such a way. And so I I do think it'll demonstrate, you know, I think as the LA LA Times, I think in an editorial said, the bedrock principles of our legal judicial system. Is It's so unprecedented. This isn't like Nixon did go away. And you had, you know, uh, you know, very, a lot of Republican officials who said go away. But unfortunately, you have just last week, he's making a speech where he said he won, um, he continues to make that speech every day, and unfortunately, this lie that he continues to make, we all know is provably false, and the only way we get to that, now the committee is when brings people in, they all say under oath, yes, that's false, we know we told him that, then they go back out and they say it on Fox News or everywhere else, you know, you have these people who, who go back to lying after they tell the committee. Now you got to bring them in in front of a judge. They can they'll have to tell the truth there. And I honestly think in front of a D.C. jury with all Republican witnesses under oath, I just as it wasn't that hard with Steve Bannon. It took a couple of hours. I think it's going to actually be pretty easy with Donald Trump.
1: Is it clear cut um, that. Indictment and conviction would put him in a position of not being
2: able to run again. Is the is the law absolutely clear that there's an avenue to that? No. Let me jump in here. Um, you can run while you're in jail. He could even, you know, be elected while in jail. So it doesn't stop him. the The criteria for running for office are given in the Constitution, and they're exclusive there, age and such. Now there is a provision in the Constitution in the Fourteenth Amendment. That was passed after the Civil War, allowing for disqualification for people who violated their oaths. And there was a handful, not very many uh, prosecutions after the Civil War before Congress let the statute lapse. Um, that unfortunately does require a statute, which at least that's the jurisprudence from the 19th century, which, you know, there currently is not one. So that's not a route to disqualifying him. I'd like to add that even if he was disqualified, there's nothing preventing him from coming back to the White House. He could have Ivanka run for president and he would be, you know, sit in the Oval Office as the senior advisor or something like that. The, you know, grand poobah with no official title. He could show up and do all his rallies, even if he was disqualified. So this is what I'm saying, that there's no legal way to get rid of Donald Trump. I also don't think there's a legal way to get rid of the honors and the, you know, the conspiracy theorists who are taking over our, our state secretaries of state positions and trying to do so in places like Arizona. The fact is, even if Trump is convicted, that movement is still there. And um, it's basically an anti-democratic movement. It's a defection on democracy by elements of the Republican Party. Barbara,
1: what, what would be the impact of an indictment on the Republican Party itself? How would well, that play
3: out? I, I, I will agree with Tom that the legal ways are not, you know, that is not the only way to do it. I agree with him that there needs to be, you know, there needs to be more Liz Cheney's and Adam Kinsingers, and there need to be more people standing up. I believe this legal route needs to be done because no one should be above the law. And this would be a horrible example to set that. No, you can't impeach a criminal president who engages in these activities. You can't. That basically, if you're, pres- if you're a president, particularly, hey, if you're a president and you run for a second term with no nothing buffering you, worrying about running for re-election, you can basically go on a crime spree. I think that's a pretty dangerous uh, message to send. So, uh, I think for anybody who respects, you know, the rule of law in our democracy, that. You have to pursue this just for that reason alone. I still do think, and I still am very active on the political front, to stop these anti-democratic efforts that are going on in the state level. And I do think um, that many of these candidates that Donald Trump has endorsed and have unfortunately proceeded through the primaries, that they will be brought down, that they will lose. We're already seeing them trail in a year where they should be pretty easily you know,
1: but but are you are, are you saying that an indictment of, of an indictment of Trump would be good for the Republican Party in the long run?
3: Well, I certainly think the cancer that is Donald Trump is continuing to hurt the the party. And until but but the the party the cancer that is Donald Trump goes beyond Trump, as we see with a Carrie Lake and these other you know ridiculous people that have just you know come out and it goes beyond him now. And I think all of that um, needs to be. Kind of gutted um, in the party, and so that's a, a much bigger problem. That yes, goes beyond Donald Trump.
1: And Tom, as, as as Barbara's pointing out, there the one benefit of a legal proceeding, a trial, would be more information would come out. I mean, there's the, the story is still not entirely told, and the opportunity to subpoena more people. Um, and and to, uh, to to get access to more documents and information would at least serve historically to tell us exactly what happened or closer to exactly what happened.
3: The money story has not been told. There's lots more follow the money aspects to this story that um, because people are resisting that, and I think the Justice Department really can get to the bottom of that, and that will break open I think a whole new chapter of this.
2: What do you think on yeah. that, Tom? Well, Barbara and I are in agreement in that, you know, if we were, if if I was as confident as she that a a conviction would be uh, obtained, I'd be with her. I'm just not. So that's just a kind of empirical uh, difference. But I guess I'd like to go back and say, well, what do you, what about uh, the situation where he gets indicted, gets a whole bunch more attention, Fox News is forced to cover him again, and he actually makes a comeback because of the trial if he ends up winning it. That seems to me a really high risk for the country.
3: Well, I don't think you can make the decision based on him running. Um, for one thing, if he runs again, the RNC has said they'll stop paying his legal bills. So there's that. Um, and I, I and I and I don't mean to at all say that I think in an, a conviction is easy. I do. I, I understand it's challenging, and obviously it has to be unanimous. But I do think there is already uh, so much, you know, overwhelming evidence, and I do think there's opportunity. Um, just from what we know, to get so much more if you were able to flip some of these witnesses, which I do think they can because. But, Barbara, they, I, 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 I,
1: I found something very interesting in Tom's question, which was the possibility that the platform of being on a trial, uh, going to trial, particularly if he loses, uh, could could have the benefit for Trump of, of giving him new oxygen on the political landscape. I, I just
3: don't see that because I think you have too many ambitious Republicans who would be happy to see him go. But what, I, about, but what about
1: his base? What about the people who love him?
3: Well, they've already look at you look at some of these polls and Ron DeSantis, who I'm no big fan of, but he's already eclipsing him in some of these early polls. And what you're seeing is you're seeing some of these people saying, you know what, the baggage is getting a little too heavy to carry. I can get Trump without, I can get Trumpism without Trump. Now I'm telling you that as a fan, I'm not a fan of Trumpism, but these people who think they can get some of that, they can scratch that itch without his baggage, they can find other people now. I don't like that. I'd like to rid the party of Trumpism, but I'm saying there's you know, if Fox News is ready to move on, if you have Laura Ingram, you know, Trump's complaining Sean Hannity doesn't return his phone calls anymore. So yes, he's still trying to incite the base. But, you know, politics, they forget you real quickly. Donald Trump is is finding that out. He doesn't have his Twitter account. His truth social just isn't packing the punch <laughs> the, yeah. and they forget you. real He doesn't understand because he wasn't a politician very long, but for those of us who've been around politics a little bit longer, they forget you real quickly. And it's, what have you done for me lately? And uh, people move on real fast and an indictment and a trial, they can, they can find other people to uh, take care of them and the and governors and people out there who are doing things and solving their problems and taking care, you know, Solving real problems that people have in their lives—they want to hear about their future, not Donald Trump's past grievances.
1: All right, so let me do, let me bring it back to Tom. It's just I, I'm hearing from Barbara just a far more—I don't know if optimistic is the word—but but but, but a, a, believes in a scenario in which a lot of the things that you're you're concerned about, I think she acknowledges that they're legitimate concerns. She just doesn't think it's going to turn out that way. Um, and, uh, where are, have you, have you been persuaded at all or, or, or soothed in any way by hearing her take on it?
2: Let me just say, Barbara, I hope you run for Congress again. I'll be the first to contribute to your campaign. Oh, no, I'm done. (laughs) But, you know, we obviously need, uh, people in the Republican party like you, we need you to be the center of it. Unfortunately, Barbara's not the center of the Republican party. You look at what's happening in some of the states and, you know, totally independent of Trump, you know, they're the strong partisan gerrymanders, which are now allowed. Now, Democrats have done that, too. I don't want to say that's a a single, you know, party problem. Um, The escalation of political tactics like happened in North Carolina after uh, the governor's race in 2016, where the party tried to remove most of the powers of governor after they lost that office. You're seeing a hardball, an escalation in political tactics, which in my view as an independent, you know, I think is asymmetric. I think it's the Republicans who are driving that escalation. And that's what where you get the defection on democracy when you've the other side so much that you think every election is an existential fight and you'd rather have a civil war than uh, than, you know, let the other guy take office. You know, that's rhetoric that I think we're seeing now on both parties. We got to get rid of that. How do we do that? To me, the Republicans are well down that road. And um, getting rid of Trump is neither here nor there for that.
1: Merrick Garland, the attorney general, is under pressure, particularly from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, but not just there, uh, to get moving on this. And he's really, really uh, speaking cautiously and taking his time. Are you impatient for him to do something about this in terms of indictment?
3: No, I think he has to be very careful. And and I do think... Um, and particularly if, you know, Congress changes hands, I mean, perhaps he might want to, because I, I think it might be wise, you know, in both the cases of Hunter Biden and and Donald Trump, he might want to consider a special counsel. Bill Barr recently said he should do it for Hunter Biden. I think it might not be bad to put this in the hands of a special counsel. Um, so I, I think it's been, uh, wise to do this carefully. I do think the committee has kicked it into gear. And I think the committee, and I do, I, you know, Liz Cheney's a great friend and I think she has been able to pull some of these guys and it's the guys who had to be, you know, come kicking and screaming because, you know, she knew where the bodies were buried. She knew this Trump administration. She was able to drag them in and make them talk because they'd already talked to a lot of people in the books anonymously. So she got them to talk. And God bless these young women who came forward, you know, again, under threats and from the Trump world, that they came forward and their testimony has just, you know, uh, been documented and fortified with records and, and others who've uh, come forward. And as the committee has said, people are coming forward every day. So I think when you the committee can shine that sunlight that kind of drags people out of corners. I don't think you would have had a Cassidy Hutchison kind of have the courage to come forward if you didn't have the courage of Liz Cheney that was kind of contagious to bring a Cassidy forward. And the grand jury calls in Cassidy. Now they're calling in uh, Pat Cipollone. So this grand jury is kicking into gear. And now Mark Meadows has to decide, gee, what do I do with my wife's problems and my problems and all these emails and texts that I've got? And do I really want to fall on my sword for this guy? And so I think this starts to uh, kick, I I think, uh, you know, Merrick Garland's moving along, but I credit him with taking it, you know, it always takes longer at the Justice Department than, you know, people, when I was there, people always complained, it never goes fast enough, I get it.
1: Well, I, I, I hear I hear people saying that his his the pace at which he's moving indicates. Oh no, he's not going to do it. He's not going to indict. You don't buy that at all.
3: No, I, I don't, and I don't think that. Um, I you know people from the outside, you know, they don't know what's necessarily going on, and I do think both the committee and what the Justice Department is doing they're complementary. Um, there's things that justice is doing probably that the committee doesn't know and vice versa, but now it's all coming together. And I think that will accelerate the process. And that's why I feel like there um, uh, uh, there will be indictments and should be. And I think that will lead to a presidential indictment and should.
1: Well, I, I, I don't like to say at the end of a debate, we'll see. But in this case, we'll see. The choice is indict or don't indict. And one of those things is going to be the outcome. We'll look forward to seeing what that is. But I want to say to you, Barbara Comstock, and you, Tom Ginsburg, you have given us a lot to think about, um, and, uh, and also that we at Intelligence Squared appreciate hearing two people disagree with one another with respect and civility, and you both did that tremendously well. So thank you for taking part in this program with us. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Intelligence Squared, made possible by a generous grant from the Laura and Gary Lauder Venture Philanthropy Fund as a nonprofit. Our work to combat extreme polarization through civil and respectful debate is generously funded by listeners like you, the Rosencrantz Foundation, and friends of Intelligence Squared. Robert Rosencrantz is our chairman, Clea Connor is CEO, David Ariosto is head of editorial, Julia Melfi, Shea O'Mara, and Marlette Sandoval are our producers, Damon Whittemore is our radio producer, and I'm your host, John Donvan. We'll see you next time.
4: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too?